Like many people, Rebecca Martin was someone who dreamed about her wedding day her whole life. Unlike many people, Rebecca could dream about it in many and meticulous details. With the tool belt of a former wedding coordinator, she could envision all the great and small particulars. The church, the dress, the table linens, flowers, favors, etc. She was so adept at thinking about these details, she even wrote a book on the topic. The Catholic Wedding Planner. So much of her adulthood had been invested in helping people discern these choices and managing the details of their big day, that by the time it came to plan her own big day, there were mammoth expectations. And then... Spring of 2020 happens. As the months of COVID plugged along, her dream wedding skewed further and further from its Pinterest-perfect ideation into its ascetic, bare-bones inverse. I started letting go of so many pieces of the day that I'd looked forward to. And so it kind of got stripped down um, to really the bare essentials. But as far as the planning goes, it was really a challenge of setting my plans aside and letting God's plans take over because it was literally out of my hands to accomplish the plans that I wanted to control. And today, Rebecca says that losing control was the best thing that could have happened to her wedding day. In fact, she recommends everybody try it. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. This episode of Detroit Stories is brought to you by Weingarts, everything from lawn to snow. Over the years, Weingarts has grown to offer an unbeatable selection of outdoor power equipment and their experienced service technicians and unmatched parts inventory keep your equipment running like new. Visit www.weingarts.com to shop for your lawn and garden needs and find a convenient location near you. An acquisitions editor for Our Sunday Visitor, based in Plymouth, Michigan, part of Rebecca Martin's job is to come up with book ideas, bring in authors, and then help edit and produce them. In 2018, when she and her boss, Mary Beth, both began dating the men who would eventually become their husbands, one of their book ideas moved to the forefront, the Catholic wedding planner. The Catholic approach to a wedding is not the same as the rest of the world's approach. <laughs> so uh, my boss, Mary Beth, and I um, had kind of, this, the idea had been percolating for a long time, and it started kind of really becoming more relevant when she and I actually both started dating around the same time. So around that time, as we're you know, discerning and getting engaged and all of that. We're like, you know, we really need to actually create this book. So it was it was pretty much a yeah, the fruit of our of both of our personal discernments and realizing that, you know, this is the resource we want for ourselves and so we're gonna make it and we're make it gonna make it such that other people can benefit from it. Rebecca had considerable knowledge of the wedding planning process, having served as a wedding coordinator and even DJing for multiple weddings. So I was pretty familiar with the secular resources. Um, and then we dove in together, Mary Beth and I, into some of the Catholic resources, a lot of which um, kind of the ones that were out there had a lot of the faith elements, a lot of the um, a lot of the ideals, a lot of the things that you need to think about but didn't have what the secular aspect was bringing to it, which is the very concrete, very useful uh, sort of book with the checklists and the pages to fill out. Um, something that you can really write up and, you know, you're carrying with you to all your 
meetings and all that kind of a thing. So we really wanted to bring the best of both worlds together with this product. Marrying the secular and religious aspects of the wedding planning resulted in a planner that offered all the checklists, worksheets, budget, and guest list advice any bride would desire to stay organized for the wedding details, while also covering topics such as liturgy planning and the theology on the sacrament of matrimony. Interspersed are opportunities for prayer and reflection. Um, and so she kind of tasked me with coming up with the draft. And so I, I was the one who basically planned it, wrote probably about 75-80% of it, and then um, facilitated a lot of the rest of it. Which meant that for the better part of a year, Rebecca was sitting at a desk surrounded by wedding planning resources and engrossed in the topic of planning weddings for hours a day. She had plenty of hours invested in thinking about weddings and how they should be. And while she was obviously writing the book for other women, throughout the hours of rewrites and fine-tuning prose, the soon-to-be bride could relish thoughts about her own upcoming nuptials. The book's tagline, that it will help you keep track of the details without losing sight of what matters most, became particularly prescient for Rebecca. Yeah, so my husband and I both... um, he comes from a very large family. My family is smaller, but we have a lot of a lot of friends, a lot of connections. And so I initially went into the planning for the wedding with the sense of like the sacramental stuff is obviously like at the forefront, but at the same time, this is my opportunity to get all the people that I love in the same room. And so a lot of our planning was around just like being able to have people there that we loved and wanted to spend time with and I knew would want to celebrate with us. So we had initially planned a wedding of about, I want to say probably about 150 guests or so. Um, my mother may or may not have blinked a few times at the guest list after I finalized it. Um, but, but also the biggest thing I, the biggest thing I wanted um, was really to be married in the parish that I'd grown up at. Um, my family is, has done quite a bit. Um, I grew up in Indianapolis for context. Um, it's a Holy Rosary in Indianapolis. Um, was where like my dad's the masters master of ceremonies and trains the servers. My mom's the parish bookkeeper. Like I grew up serving at that parish, and so it was really important for me. Even though at the time I was living in Fort Wayne, Indiana, my husband's from up here in the Detroit area. It was really important for me to get married at that parish that I'd grown up at. So that was kind of a lot of our planning was centered around a beautiful liturgy, a beautiful mass, making the sacrament the heart of it, and then also how, kind of having the party. Rebecca starts the planning. She chooses the venue, the flowers, and then... So um, as we were planning, you know, getting all of these pieces into place, then, of course, spring of 2020 happens. This was a week before Rebecca was sending out the invitations. Optimism told her it would all blow over, but caution pushed her to caveat their invite. So we ended up quickly... I worked up a... a, um, a quick wedding website, just a you know free platform, and included a little slip of paper in the nice, fancy, formal invitations that I had loved that my mother and I had searched all over to find the traditional wedding invitations, and included a little slip of paper that said, uh, check the website, because things might be changing. And then things started changing. Little by little, all the pieces of Rebecca's wedding so painstakingly planned and imagined came falling down. So I started letting go of so many pieces of the day that I'd looked forward to. And the 
you know, at first I knew, okay, I was going to have to let go of the guest list. Okay. All right. I can, you know, we can have another party later. I can, I can start to let go of that. Then I had to let go of one of my sisters being there because at the time my youngest nephew had, um, a lot of uh, breathing issues and he was only, um, he was less than a year old. And so they were really concerned about taking him out of the house and potentially having him, um, catch COVID. So I had to let go of my oldest sister, who was going to be my matron of honor, um, letting go of her being there and then letting go even then at the end of, um, even being able to have mass because at the time, um, the Archdiocese of Indianapolis was still not allowing any sort of public masses. And so, um, that, that was, that was the hardest part. That was the thing I grieved the most, uh, was not having the sacrament, you know, not having the Eucharist, not having the structure of the mass around, um, around my marriage. And so it kind of got stripped down, um, to really the bare essentials. In the end, she had a few scraps of the original vision. The date, the dress, and the vows. And somehow, in spite of that... It was pretty near perfect. As the day kind of unfolded, there were so many gifts that were kind of not in the original plan but ended up being either better than I could have expected or just different. Um, some of the things that, you know, we were able to keep were, like, the wedding day that we pulled off, um, despite just barely being able to get our, uh, license in time. Uh, thankfully the courthouse was open. Um, that the, one of the biggest pieces for me, again, um, was being able to be married at Holy Rosary, and we were, uh, the priest who had done all of our marriage prep, uh, was, was there for our wedding. We were, we were there, we were in the right place, <laughs> which was great. I had had to let go of uh, my oldest sister being my matron of honor, um, but my middle sister, who originally <laughs> was going to have been on a two-week trip to Italy uh, over the course of which she was not in control of the dates of, and I told her, you know, it's fine. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Go take this trip to Italy. It's it's fine. Um, that trip was canceled, obviously, um, and so she was actually able to be there. So I didn't have... I was originally only going to have one sister anyway. I just swapped out which sister was actually going to be there. Um, and so she was actually my, uh, my witness. And then one of the other pieces that was just really dear to my heart uh, was actually being able to wear my mom's wedding dress. Um, my, I had wanted, since I was a little girl, to wear it. But I'm kind of a different size than my mother is, and so I really wasn't sure if it was going to work. I ended up finding a brilliant seamstress who totally was able to alter it and make it work. And so... And she was also able to, because she, uh, the seams just worked out of her house, I was able to keep going for the last few fittings because she didn't mind it if I came over. Um, and so I was still able to have my mother's wedding dress. I was able to wear that on the day. And that was honestly probably one of the best pieces. I really love that dress. Um, but yeah, they're elegant. A lot of letting go, but a lot of unexpected gifts. And one of the other ones was... You know, the, the party is great. The party is fun. But what we ended up doing was actually just a, a luncheon at home. My sister who had my middle sister, who was supposed to have been on the trip to Italy, is actually a chef. And so she ended up um, actually, Kate, quote unquote, catering our wedding luncheon. And it was just um, my family, my, my parents and that sister, 
my husband's mother um, and his father's oldest sister, his father had passed away uh, before we got married, and then the priest and the photographer, and that was it. And it was such a calm and peaceful and joyful meal. And just to be able to come home and be in my parents' living room in the house where I grew up in my wedding dress, able to pull out my parents' wedding album and, and take a picture with the, the portrait of my mother wearing the dress. Just, it was, it was so full of unexpected peace that I, I really, honestly, looking back, the only thing I would have changed about my wedding day would have be actually to have mass. There was a piece of advice Rebecca held on to throughout the upsets of wedding planning that kept her persevering. There was something my mom kept reiterating over the course of the entire wedding planning, like even before COVID happened. Um, she was always reminding me that what matters is that you say your vows to each other. Everything else is icing on the cake. Everything else. And, you know, that's that's one thing to hear about that when you're, you know, picking out the invitations or planning the menu or whatever. It's a whole other thing to hear that when, like, all the icing on the cake has been stripped away. Um... But it really is, like, for us as Catholics, and this, again, this was brought home to me because of my experience, but as Catholics, it, the heart of your wedding day is the sacrament, and that's what matters. It's a piece of advice that Rebecca hopes all brides and grooms who are wedding planning will hold on to. What she hopes the wedding planner will impart to readers is what brought the words she wrote in the planner to life. What she believed in theory she had the opportunity to believe and love and experience. And preparing for the sacrament, being ready to stand up there and say your vows, and to know what you're doing, to enter into it wholeheartedly with this, you know, this plan. If any, you know, if you're planning anything, you should be planning a lifetime of marriage with this person. And so that was really, you know, that really was drilled into me because of my experience, but then became, you know, something where as I'm creating this wedding planner, you know, there are so many details. There, There is so much to the day and the party and the dress and the makeup and all of that. So how do we look at the whole picture, but still through this lens of the sacrament being at the heart of it? Um, you know, if, if your focus is on the sacrament, if your focus is on the marriage, then what you do for the short term of the, you know, the day, the party, needs to be with an eye towards the long term. Your pre preparation doesn't stop on the day of your wedding. Uh, it's for a lifetime, it's for this future. And so bringing that to bear on every decision that you make, not like to get nitpicky about it, not to be like, oh, well, you shouldn't do that because you know it's not as important as the sacrament. No, it's not as important, but it doesn't mean it's not important. It's just keeping things in the right order. It's so easy, it's so easy to get overwhelmed, um, to get self-centered also, um, but just to get pulled away from what it's all about. And so I think, you know, and, and the reality is, you know, any sort of big event, you're planning, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you're planning a 50th anniversary party or a graduation party or whatever, any big event gets stressful. And so it's a question of like, how do I, in the midst of, of what is a very ordinary, natural stress, how do I keep my eye on the prize? How do I, um, how do we, I should say, I should not be saying I, how do we um, really keep our eyes where they need to be? That's not to say that she thinks the icing on the cake isn't important or thought about. I mean, look at the liturgy. 
the heart of it is the Eucharist. The heart of it is the liturgy of the word and the Eucharist, but the externals matter. The, the physical, the beauty, the music, the, um, you know, our, our physical participation in it matters. And so, and, and, you know, just like we celebrate the feast days in the liturgy, the sacrament is something to be celebrated. It's something to be celebrated with both body and soul. And so that whole, the whole idea of having a big party, of, of pulling the community together, of making your vows in front of your family and your friends, of rejoicing and celebrating and really um, allowing it to be a time of recognizing that this is important, that this the sacrament that you guys have just vowed, it has an impact on the church. It has an impact on the community around you because your sacrament, the sacrament of marriage is is exemplifying the love of Christ for his church. And so it, it is something to be celebrated and it's something to have a party about. Looking back on her own wedding planning and the upsets, Rebecca felt like she gained valuable insights about the lessons she had touted in her book. She always believed the importance in rightly ordering wedding planning in theory, but experience allowed her to see just how valuable prioritizing the right things is. Her ramshackle yet deeply beautiful wedding day was a testament to that. And two years later, in the throes of wedded bliss, she's overwhelmingly thankful that she got caught up in the right details. For other brides in the thick of it, she has advice how to prepare. Prayer, prayer, always prayer. Um, and that's actually one of the things we incorporated into uh, the wedding planner was these reflections on um, that chapter of 1 Corinthians of love is patient, love is kind, going through all of those. To spend time with scripture, to spend time with our Lord, um, and to let our Lord's love for us and our Lord's sacrifice for us form our understanding of marriage and our approach to it and our love for the other. So I think, I mean, scripture and prayer are always, always going to be the first things, the first priorities. And then also, again, spending time with each other um, and having those conversations, those discussions that are sometimes really hard to have, but essential as you're walking into life together, um, to ask the tough questions, to have those really difficult conversations about how do we want to raise our kids? You know, how, what are we going to do if we have a teenager who suddenly doesn't want to go to mass? You know, how are we going to handle when sex gets really awful or stressful or NFP gets difficult? You know, do we want to find out the sex of the baby before we have it? It's, they're random questions. They feel random. Um, finances, that's another big one. Uh, how are we going to deal with our money? They feel like, oh, why are you worrying about everything at once? And in a sense, you know, it can be equally overwhelming to try to think about all of those questions at once. But those conversations, those drilling down into the what ifs and drilling down into the how are we going to do this, that's what keeps the long-term important. That's, that's what is actually preparing you for that lifetime of marriage. Again, not the, the sacramental preparation for the day of, but also the making sure you're on the same page and you have a sense of, we're going to get through the tough times together as much as we're going to get through this joyful start to our marriage together. And I think one of the other pitfalls with that is at least I found um, and have seen with other friends, is that the bride gets so wrapped up in the details 
Um, and the groom gets wrapped up in like keeping the bride from having a panic attack in the middle of dealing with the details. Um, that you forget to focus on each other. And you forget to like actually remember that you love this person and like you've spent the last X amount of time dating them and you need to kind of keep dating them. Like you can't just be <laughs> you can't just be in this like awful, you know, swamp of wedding planning to the point where you get to the wedding day and you're like, who are you? Oh yeah, I do actually want to marry you. I just sort of forgot about it and all the, you know, worried about what my dress was going to look like. For anyone who has gone through marriage prep in the Catholic Church, they know it can be rigorous, long-lasting, and for couples already overwhelmed with an endless to-do list, it can seem like one more hurdle on the way to the wedding day. But there's a reason for this. The Church values the wedding day, but she's got her eye on the long game, the marriage. From the very beginning, we try to just instill in the couples just the importance of um, uh, the, the marriage and not so much the wedding day. This is Father Mario Amore, pastor of St. Aloysius in Detroit, a booming parish of young adults, which means a parish with a lot of weddings. He's well-versed in the marriage prep process. Like the wedding day is one day in the life of their marriage, and we want to make that as beautiful and as memorable as possible. Um, but we want them to see that uh, you know, the marriage preparation is indeed doing just that, trying to prepare them for uh, a lifetime of fidelity and happiness and joy in the good times and in the bad. And so um, we just try to keep them focused, especially when when they're with us. So I always make it a point to ask them how the preparations are going, you know, inviting the guests and, and all of that. Um, and, and then also... Uh, just moving from that conversation, you know, if, if it seems like all of the focus is, is on that, to bring them back and to help them just to reorient themselves and, and to refocus uh, themselves, to, to understand that the sacrament is the most important part of, um, of, of their wedding, of their wedding day and of, of their, their marriage. To help with that, many parishes encourage couples to meet with a pre-marriage counselor to help prompt the deeper questions before walking down the aisle. So it, it's a professional Catholic um, who helps them to uh, be sure that they've had the, the necessary conversations so for the major parts of major aspects of relationships. So we see marriage as um, there's a supernatural level to it, the spiritual, the sacramental, which is what we as the church focus on. And then there's the natural level, um, those those relationship aspects that we ask somebody else um, who has just maybe more uh, experience in helping couples navigate those areas. We have them work with them. Um, again, just to see if there's any, any further conversations that need to be had. Um, so that the couple can enter into the marriage as freely as possible, so that there's nothing being held back. There's no you know, major thing in life that hasn't been talked about before. There's also a pre-marriage workshop or retreat and NFP courses. Where the, the couples can come together with other couples preparing for marriage um, and couples who have been married before. They're usually primarily the ones who are presenting, offering advice and guidance to the couples. Um, and then uh, for most of us as well, there's a, a natural family planning, NFP component, where we help the couples to understand um, the beauty of the, the moral and sexual teaching of the church and how, uh, how their sexuality and their expression of it um, uh, is really um, a, 
a manifestation of the uh, the vows that they make to each other, giving themselves fully to each other, not hold anything, not holding anything back, including their sexuality. Compared with marriages in other denominations, it can seem like a lot. It slows the pace of the pre-wedding frenzy to a syncopated set of steps and requirements. But each step requires couples to really wrestle with the questions they will eventually answer on their wedding day and their vows. In good times and bad, in sickness and health, love and honor. What do these mean, and how do we live them out? The church's hope is that by the recitation of the vows, the couple can respond with a resounding and decisive, I do. We always begin with kind of some basic questions um, that are really difficult to answer sometimes. Um, so a question of, first and foremost, like, why why do you want to be married? Um, uh, and we offer that, you know, as, as a way of just like being able to express what's in their heart. So often that's taken for granted. You know, they've, they know that they love each other. They know that they want to be married, um, but they don't often, believe it or not, they don't often have um, or take the opportunity to express that to each other. So um, encouraging them to do that over and over again throughout this process, um, to recognize too that the engagement process and the time of marriage preparation um, is also a discernment. It's a continued and more intense discernment process. So just because you're engaged doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be married. For most people, that it's the case that they will be. Um, and that sounds a little harsher. It might sound a little shocking, but that's, that's precisely what the preparation is for, discernment. So to say, um, either at the end of it, that we've gone through all of this preparation and, and we've had all of these deep conversations and we've delved more deeply into our relationship. Um, and I'm certain now, uh, even more than before, that this is the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with and that God is calling me to spend the rest of my life with. On the other hand, it might be the case that you go through the discernment and you find out, you know, because we've had all of these conversations that we've never had before, we find out that we might be on different pages about things. And, and at this point, it might be, not be the right time for us. So the wisdom that I give um, with in kindness is to say, really to see this as, as a time of discernment um, and to see it as a beautiful moment that, that the Lord is, is offering to you um, to, uh, to heed this call to marriage with this person. Or again, in kindness, um, the opportunity to see that this might not necessarily be the person that um, it is meant for you or, or that God is calling you to be with. Um, so that's a piece of advice. And then finally as well, to help them to really think about why it is this person. Again, it's one thing to feel it. It's another thing to be able to express it. So couples many times at the beginning of their preparation will express you know, all of the reasons why they're good partners. You know, they have the same values. They like doing the same kind of things together. They have the same interests. Um, but that those are all great. And you can find those things in other friends as well. So just being able to pray more deeply as they enter into this preparation process. But why is it that I love this person so deeply? 
and and challenge them just just to be able to to express that not only um, in, in the context of our preparation but over and over again to the person that they feel called to marry. There's a Croatian wedding tradition that Rebecca Martin and her husband Carl, whose family is Croatian, included in their wedding day. And it is to actually hold a crucifix while you're saying your wedding vows. Um, so that your hands, you know, your hands are clasped and then your other hands are clasped around the crucifix. And just that, again, that looking towards the crucifix as the ultimate act of love, the ultimate sacrifice, while saying the vows uh, is something I find really powerful. In the midst of their unconventional wedding day, after months of unexpected and in a world in the midst of uncertainty and suffering, they were tethered to each other, to the cross, to their vows. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Detroit Stories is brought to you by Weingarts, everything from lawn to snow. Over the years, Weingarts has grown to offer an unbeatable selection of outdoor power equipment, and their experienced service technicians and unmatched parts inventory keep your equipment running like new. Visit www.wineguards.com to shop for your lawn and garden needs and find a convenient location near you.